This is the next generation of talk radio. You're listening to the Blaze Radio Network on demand. Listen live at theblaze.com slash radio. Will Kane, S.E. Cup, R. Kane and Cup. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Good Saturday morning to you. Grab that cup of coffee, open up the newspaper, hang out with me and SE Cup over the next three hours. We've got a big show for you. As I tweeted, Iraq, hair loss, redskins, bad parenting, soccer, just some of the things we're going to cover today. How many people need to be offended for a football team to change its name? That in our second hour, male insecurities from hair loss to height. Oh, I can't wait for that one. That wait. seems appropriate for a good game of bros. What exactly are your top male insecurities? And might there be a cure to what I suspect is number one on the list? Well, and for me, it's always interesting to hear, like, the male insecurity versus the things that women are looking at because they don't match up. Really? The things that we're most insecure about? Yeah, you're telling me women don't care about? Well, I'm not going to generalize, but we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Wow. Y'all are worried about stuff that we don't necessarily worry about, and I'm sure it's the same for us. Our insecurities, you're like, what? <laughs> but let's start this morning off with a debate. Let's start this morning off talking about Iraq. Now, of course, Glenn Beck made news this week when he suggested that when it comes to Iraq, liberals might have been right all along. Listen. Now, in spite of the things that I felt at the time when we went into war, liberals said we shouldn't get involved. They said we shouldn't get mired in another foreign mess. We shouldn't nation build. And beside, there was no indication that the people of Iraq um, had the will to be free. I thought that was insulting at the time. Everybody wants to be free. They said we couldn't force freedom on people. You know what? Let me lead with my mistakes. You're right. Liberals, you were right. Now, I was asked about that this week, Essie, when I went on The View. Do you agree, Will? Do you agree with your boss? Right. That liberals were right? That statement seems by itself to stand alone. Liberals were right. That's the, the synthesis of the entire point that's, he had to make. That's all he said. That's, that's all he said. Like that one sentence. Else. Yeah. I was asked that. Listen. There was an unlikely ally uh, that some liberal folks found in Glenn Beck, who said most people on the left were against going into Iraq. I wasn't. Liberals, you were right. We shouldn't have. And, well, well, that's your boss. Yeah. What do you think? Um, I think he's right. And I'm not just saying that because I draw a paycheck from that organization. You said that yesterday before he said Oh, 100 percent, Jenny. Uh, I'm proud of that. I, I do hold my own thoughts as well. But here's, uh, here's what I think. I do think we have to ask the question, was Iraq all for naught? Was Iraq all for naught? That's the opinion that um, I think we should start this debate with, Essie. First of all, let's set aside what I think we might agree on, which is the pettiness and narrow-mindedness of most of the debate regarding Iraq right now. Is President Obama to blame for not negotiating a status of forces agreement with Iraq in 2011? Is he wrong for pulling American troops out of Iraq. Is he, therefore, the reason we are where we are today in Iraq? And then the counter-argument, of course, no, 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 no. We are where we are today because we went to Iraq in the first place. That, of course, coming from Democrats and blaming President Bush. If we had never gone in and Saddam Hussein would have maintained his benevolent rule over <laughs> Iraq, we would never have seen the rise of ISIS. 
I think both are a distraction. Both are narrow-minded. Both have nothing to do with the debate. The debate about Iraq and how it ends up where it is today and where we need to go next is much bigger. It actually, in my estimation, spans thousands of years. It requires an understanding of who is fighting who, who hates who, who wants to kill who. And I'm telling you that uh, because of that broad range of debate, I think the answer is what do we do now to the question of what do we do now is nothing. When it comes to Iraq, when it comes to ISIS, for right now, the American, the appropriate course of action for America is to do nothing. Well, I'll ask you why uh, in a bit, but but let me first just take issue with something that your new friend Whoopi Goldberg said in that clip. She said most liberals were not into going into Iraq. Most liberals were against going into Iraq. False. False. Most Democrats voted to go into Iraq. And in fact, unlike most other war conflicts, including World War One, World War Two, Vietnam, the American public was in favor of going into Iraq. George W. Bush had the American public behind him. So every, you know, bleeding heart liberal can rewrite history now and say, well, they were against it all along. No, they weren't. No, they weren't. And just because many have come, many, many, many turned on George Bush and many came to believe that he was lying or that we went in under false pretenses and now have decided that 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 was the wrong thing to do doesn't mean they get to rewrite history. So that's that's number one. Let me just say you're, you're, you're right if we're if we're playing absolutes. I mean, many Democratic politicians from Hillary Clinton yep. on voted in favor of the Iraq war. But it's also fair to say that opposition in this debate, that the counter argument in this debate was coming from the left when there was people standing up saying we should not go into Iraq. Those voices were being heard from the left. For sure. That's absolutely true. But they were not at the time that we went in. It was only after we learned a lot more about Iraq. Iraq was not going well. And you had, frankly, the, you know, the Glenn Greenwald liberals, the Peacenik liberals, the MoveOn.org liberals motivated by politics and getting George Bush impeached, the Code Pink liberals pushing Democrats to change their mind on Iraq. But I, I just I just think it's important to uh, to start from a place of, of total intellectual honesty here. Um, I obviously, well, not obviously, but I, I believe uh, the opposite, that it is imperative, more imperative now to go back into Iraq than it probably was to go in in the first place. And the way I justify going into Iraq in the first place was not just WMDs. We can put that aside. It was the fact that George Bush Sr., had signed Saddam Hussein to an agreement, an agreement to secure chemical weapons, and he did not meet that agreement. He closed Iraq off to inspectors. He broke his promise. And once he broke his promise, whether that was our reason or not, we had an absolute right to go back into that conflict and hold Saddam Hussein accountable. Um, We didn't use that justification, but it was a justification. Now, flash forward. The conditions on the ground in Iraq are so dangerous right now that it's vital not only for the stability of that region. And I I frankly don't care about the sectarian skirmishes. The United States is never going to solve that problem. President Obama will never solve that problem. A Republican president will not solve that problem. What we need to worry about is the terrorist threat now. And it's not just these random jihadi insurgents. 
It's that they are actively planning the next 9-11. Okay, let's put a pin in debate for one second right there. So maybe we can do this. We can resolve agreement on this. The purpose of any kind of action in Iraq should not, therefore, be to create stability in the region. Because as you just said, we can't sort out these sectarian conflicts. And when I point to millennia of backdrop to this conflict— from the fall of the Ottoman Empire to the setup of these puppet authoritarian dictators by the West to drawing lines in the sand by the French and the British and creating these countries, we have done a horrible job of actually attempting to resolve their multicultural problems in this region, and we can't do that. No. So we that's can't. not the purpose of any form of action we take over there. Correct. Even though that is what we deluded ourselves. In both Afghanistan time. and Iraq the over the time. past decade. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. Our, our Afghanistan was a little different in that we had we had a, an, an enemy. In, but, but still, in we Al-Qaeda. sold ourselves on the idea: the only way we get out is yep. by creating a stable environment, which we leave behind. Yes, you're absolutely right. But let me just say, creating stability in Iraq, and we had by 2010, so much so that both President Obama and Vice President Biden were singing its praises. Right. They were. They were practically giddy about the prospects of Iraq's future because it had become so stable. No thanks to them, by the way, who both opposed the surge. They they were happy to take credit for the Iraqi stability they did not create. Right. But then after 2010, what happened? We left. We didn't right. just leave. It was a we short- left with our intelligence forces as well. It was a short-lived stability. It was a stability that existed in a blip, a in a moment in time. Absolutely. Over thousands of years where Sunnis and Shias want to kill each other with tribes, with flags. They're called nations over there wanting to kill each other. So we are going to agree, you and I right now, that what our debate is, whether or not the United States should go back into Iraq now, is to thwart the terrorist potential. Um, let's do this. I want to bring the audience in. 888-900-3393. Should we go back in in some capacity, whatever capacity that may be, into Iraq to thwart the terrorist potential. I don't think anybody at this point is deluding themselves to suggest we can create stability in that region. But should we send our bombers over there? Should we send our special forces over there to thwart the the terrorist potential? Let's take a quick break. Let's have that debate when we come back. You and me, get the audience in, 888-900-3393. Should the United States go into Iraq or should the United States do nothing on Canaan Cup? Will Kane and Desi Cup will continue in a moment on the Blaze Radio Network. On the Blaze Radio Network. Hey, welcome back to Kane and Cup. I'm SC Cup. And I'm Will Kane. Call in at 888-900-3393. You know, some conservatives, even folks like Glenn Beck, are, are reconsidering their long-held positions in Iraq. And so we're asking you today, and it's not an easy question, obviously. This is, you know, this is what everyone is debating, even at at, you know, top military levels. People are debating this question. Do we go into Iraq with airstrikes and bombs and, and, and potentially boots on the ground in the form of special forces? Or do we leave it alone? Do we say, you know what? Not our fight anymore. Not our problem. Let them take care of this, this collapse. And, and I argue not only do we need to go in with 
300 military advisors. We're going to need to go in with some measure of troops on the ground. By the way, can we just advisors? Nonsense. BS. Well, it's nonsense. Of course. Of course. Those guys are carrying guns and receiving bullets their direction. Yes, they are. But regardless, you know, it's not it's not something I advocate lightly. But it's so clear to me that we are going to need some measure of boots on the ground, probably special forces that I'm, I'm really I'm not as worried about it. As other folks are, because I think President Obama is going to end up sending troops at some point. He's going to have to. And here's why. Pretend you don't know everything you know about what happened in Iraq over the past 10 years. Right. It's hard to do. But pretend you don't know. And all you heard was this terrorist group of thousands was moving south through the Levant, through very dangerous places, Hostile places where the United States and West and the West have a lot of enemies. Toward a place that is already a total power vacuum, completely chaotic. They're taking over towns. They just seized a chemical weapons facility. They just stole $400 million. And you you have intelligence that they're planning the next 9-11. Are you telling me that a president of the United States would not take that threat so seriously as to send a small measure of special forces in. We did that in Libya. We did that in Uganda. President Obama is so haunted by President Bush, and his only foreign policy is to not be like Bush, that he is making a really stupid decision. It haunted him in Syria, and it's haunting him now in Iraq, so that he cannot see the forest through the trees. So I'm the one who's made the argument we should do nothing. <clears throat> um, first of all, when you say we do something, you've been making the argument for special forces. Many of people have pointed out, let's send in some bombers to go in and start laying waste to these guys as they march south through Iraq. The story is, supposedly, it's very hard to separate these, as you said, thousands of terrorists from the local population, from the civilian yeah. population. They're embedding themselves in these in towns. cities, right. And you're talking about dropping bombs basically on a 10-to-1 ratio of civilians to terrorists. Oh, no, terrorists. no, that's not what I'm talking about. But, but no, uh, not that's you. What I'm saying a proverbial you. That's, yeah. that's what, so that's one of my arguments for you. Sure. You're not going to be able to just check the box on air raids and say we've done our duty here and have met it have been a effective cost-benefit operation. No, that's why you need special forces on the okay, ground. Okay, so then we talk about the special forces operation. Um, now you're talking about boots on the ground, and you you're, you conceding this. You don't you start with 300, it ends up at 10,000 before you know it. That's the same way, basically, Iraq, uh, Afghanistan started. I, I'm, I'm being a little bit over the top when I say it gets to 10,000, but 300 is not what the force will be. Right. Um, ISIS for right now is fighting a local war, just like in Syria. They want to take over the region. I understand that the leader of ISIS has said, we'll see you in New York. I understand they're gaining capability. But I think we have to be very, very clear about, are we going in there to knock someone down, to punch them in the nose and get out, or are we going to get rid of this power vacuum you point out mm. is where they breed and they live? Mm-hmm. And I don't see the opportunity to just knock them down and get out. I think we're going to, by default, get in back into the stability business, get back into the create Iraq as a stable democracy, again, business. And that is a certain failure. Well, yeah, and this is not a satisfying response 
But I will point out, this is why uh, folks like me have said three years ago, you've got to contain these problems before they get so big. Yeah, but what does contain mean? Again, you're, I feel like you're going back to the stability thing. Contain usually no, 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 means— No, 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 no. So it, ex- describe it for me. So, so three years ago, when we, when we knew that Bashar al-Assad was striking his own people, for airstrikes to take out his arsenal— And then what? —would have completely weakened his capability to do that. The only reason that Jabhat al-Nusra and ISIS and other al-Qaeda-aligned forces flooded into Syria was because there was a total power vacuum. Nothing was happening. Yeah, but There gra- was total chaos. But it grants the assumption that in the wake of weakening Assad, moderate forces in Syria would have taken over. They might have created a pluralistic democracy, and all these jihadis would never have existed. And I just don't see a historical precedent for that. Let me ask Ted in Maryland what he thinks on this. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. Uh, uh, by the way, I'm a retired Air Force veteran. Oh, thanks for uh, your service, Ted. Thank you. I, I kind of my image that comes to mind is that guy who's got his arms stretched out. He's got it in two individuals' chest, and they're wanting to to go at it. Uh, that's the Sunnis and the Shias. Yeah. Uh, I think you need to be there to make sure they don't start swinging punches. But you're going to get bloody being in the middle. Uh, and the problem I see is if you let's take ISIS, if you if you uh, roll them back in terms of capability, then the other side gets strong. You, this is a a no win, but you just need to be the be there to make sure it stays in their neighborhood and doesn't come to yours. What does be there mean? Does that mean? And I think the the intellectually consistent and honest answer, Ted. I don't mean to 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 lead you down the path, but is when people make arguments that we should treat the Middle East the same way we treated Japan after World War II or Germany after World War II and left a residual force, a base in the region, to be a permanent stabilizing presence. Would that be what you're talking about? Uh, I don't know that it would work. I mean, we gave them, uh, when we left, and you can argue whether we should have stayed then, uh, a free democracy, and look what they did with it. Uh, I don't believe it's also like we did in Libya, where you uh, bomb them from the air and you walk away. Right. Uh, somewhere along the line, there has to be an adult in that situation, yeah. and so maybe it is a presence. Maybe it is a um, uh, a presence that doesn't favor one over the other. You're right. just basically there to keep the sides apart. Well, yeah, and Ted, let me ask you, for, in your expertise, you know, if we start airstrikes, how useful is that in a place like Iraq without special forces on the ground? Um, I... I you know, I, I think you'd have to ask, what do you want those airstrikes to do? Could you go after weapons caches, as you kind of, I think you talked earlier? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But you're talking an insurgency where uh, the coin of the realm is the IED and the mm. coalition of call for rifles. So, uh, and right now they're beheading people. So, That's right. um, airstrikes, and I, and my guess is, is if you start airstrikes, uh, ISIS is going to embed themselves with the civilian population. That's and right. Bring about that. That problem. Well, not to mention, yeah, ISIS coming from a Sunni uh, a Sunni position. The the Sunni population in Iraq is a minority, and they feel uh, like they've been threatened by the Shiite regime under Maliki. They are vulnerable to be exploited, and the last right. thing we want to do is drive the Sunnis into the into the arms of ISIS. That's right. Thanks for the call, Ted. I think my argument in the end, SE, is I agree with you. Once there's a clear external terroristic threat that could come to the United States, action. Go for it. Yeah. I don't see that yet. I could be wrong. I don't don't have all the intelligence. I see an internal conflict, a fight over a worthless region. To well, us. it's a mess. I think everyone can agree it's a mess. When we come back, what what I'm going to ask Essie, what are men's top 
physical insecurities. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I'll ask you, too, when uh-huh. we come back on Kane and Cup. This is Kane and Cup, part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. of the next generation of talk radio, Kane and Cup is on. Big news out of Boston. Big news. What's going on? I have long said, Essie, that I don't know what the problem here is. I don't know how the free market hasn't solved this out, but if someone can find the cure to baldness, they have found the holy grail. Sure. Billions of dollars. Yeah. We have these medical advances when it comes to cancer, when it comes to everything, and we're nowhere. When it comes to stopping male hair loss. Mm -hmm. Scientists at Yale may have discovered an off-label use for an arthritis drug that regrows men's hair. Apparently, this patient, 25-year-old man, he had no hair on his entire body. He had alopecia. Okay. No eyebrows. Yeah. No eyelashes. Yeah. No arm hair. Yeah. No head hair. Uh Uh-huh. He now, after taking this drug for, I believe, a few months, has it all. Full head of hair. Wow. Eyebrows, eyelashes. Wow. Armpit hair. Just a, a big that. Bigfoot, a Sasquatch. <laughs> wow, look at that. That is a full head of hair. This is big, big news. You don't understand how big a deal this is to men. Um, they don't know if this will work with like a male pattern pelvis. Right. Al- uh, this type of alopecia, which is alopecia universalis or something, is different than male pattern baldness, but it's a, it's a chance. There's a chance. It's hope. It um, uh huh. Let me ask you. I want to quiz you really okay. quickly. Okay. Okay. What are the top five? I have a study here. Okay. Just a study. Just a, no, no, no source needed. Generic study. Here. Study. <laughs> Science. Yet official. Um, on the top five male physical insecurities. Okay. Physical insecurities. That's right. Not not your finances. By Money. the way. Money. Okay. Right, right. Oh, okay. That changes things. Okay. Right. Physical insecurities? Physical insecurities. I want to see how many of the top five you can get. Well, I know it's not how long y'all spend in the bathroom, because you are proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> not for primping, I assume you're talking not about. Not for primping. Right. Uh, let me go. Well, hair is one, for sure. Height? Hair, by the way. Number three. I would have put it at number one, for sure. Okay. Uh, height, I assume, is one. Height did not make the top five. What? I know. Which makes the list suspect. What? This is not science. <laughs> this is this is quackery. Not the top five. Okay. Uh, do I have to guess some part of your male member insecurity? That's not on the list either. So maybe they made some exemptions because clearly that's a top five. This is strange. As well. <laughs> this is strange. Muscle tone. That is number five. Yes. What Muscle the hell is number definition. one? What's number one? You want me to just give it to yeah, you? Yeah. This is stupid. Being overweight. Oh, okay, so just overall body image. Yeah. Oh. Number two is completely shocking. What? Yellow teeth. What? Yeah. Is this from the from from the dark ages? Number three, balding or receding hairline. Number four, man boobs. Moobs. Moobs. <laughs> Wait a second. This this study is from like the Middle Ages. No, it's not. Because 
Yellow teeth? I mean, the drugstore can fix your yellow teeth. Well, that's why that business is booming, because there's insecurities. Crest white strips. The fact that height is not on that list, it completely makes it a suspect to me. I want to make this a Game of Bros. I want to open this up to another celebrity edition of Game of Bros and bring our friend Pete Dominic, host of Stand Up with Pete Dominic on Sirius XM Radio, stand-up comedian Pete Dominic, noted bald man Pete Dominic. Good morning, Pete. I sit here, I listen to Will Kane and FC Cup, two, let's agree, perfect-looking human specimens, <laughs> condescending, <laughs> pointing and picking, especially Will, of course, who is of course. the greatest hair, the whitest teeth, really perfect height, great symmetry in his face. <laughs> and, and, I, and it's just so... This is getting uncomfortable. You sit here and you think you're, that it doesn't sound like you're sitting in judgment, that you don't have a low, perfect body fat. It's data. It's a study. I, yeah, I know. I, <laughs> but you, what, I, I insist and demand before we go further that you admit your most insecure part of your physical body. Mine? Yeah, go ahead. Admit it. Um, that I, that I, that oh, this will be good. Listen to him stuttering. Yeah. Stuttering. Let I me find something. Let me find something. Have you seen me? No, I wish I had 10 pounds of more muscle on me. That's what I wish. 10 to 15 pounds more oh, muscle. Oh, cry me a river. For sure. And cry by the way, river. and by the way, let, let me tell you, let, let me, let's just open it up here, Pete, on this. No, that's like the kind of criticism when you're in an interview and they're like, tell us one thing you don't like about yourself. And you say, oh, I work too hard. No, it's not. <laughs> yes, it is. No, it's not. I have, I have since puberty been the skinny guy. Always the skinny guy. You don't think that really settles in with you when you're 15, 16, 17 year old? Bird legs. Yeah. Do you have a wambulance sound effect? I know, I know, I know. Please. Can I tell you another one? Because I am a hypochondriac, and this opens up the conversation to your expertise, Pete. Um, You know, I I think I've told you this. I am hyper. Am I losing a little hair in the temples? I'm sitting here like I. And the answer is yes. And it is extremely uh, obsessive. You go now. Imagine. Yeah. Now imagine having that feeling that you have. When you're 23 and single, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, you're married, it doesn't matter. And by the way, you're starting to lose your hair around the time that pretty much 95% of guys start to lose their hair. You're, you're never going to look like that World War II veteran with the flat top, with the hair den- follicle density of, you know, a perfectly uh, seated golf course. <laughs> but you're, your hair loss, the beginnings of it is natural. You're married and who cares? Yeah. Oh, you're still going to have a ton of hair for the rest of your TV career. Now, I have this radio show, so it doesn't really matter. I was 23, <laughs> bro, 23, and went through puberty late. It was as if God looked at me and said, this is your challenge. But, Pete, so, let me ask you, why isn't height on that list? Isn't height one of your kind's all-time top insecurities? Why would you be asking that, Pete? I think that's the question you need to ask. That's, that's rude, and it, it has assumptions baked in. No, no, no. This has nothing to do with Pete's size. I'm just curious. Essie, when you think of me, how, you know, what do you think about my height? About what, guess my height. Uh, guess my height. We've, um, been, we've, we've been in the same room many to- a few times. We've been. We? Interesting. We've been in the same room. Uh, 5'10". Oh, wow. That is, my personality must be that strong. <laughs> Holy cow. What are you, Pete? Five? I actually nine? am three foot seven, so that's <laughs> quite a compliment. I'm 5'8". 
on a good day. There you go. That's when average I, today, I, I think. When I was 25, I was at my most confident uh, physically. I was a personal trainer. I was in good shape. Mm. Uh, I was doing well with the ladies at that point. <laughs> and, but there was one thing that I would never do, and that would be even try to talk to uh, a girl that was as much as half an inch or an inch taller because that was, to me, it was a legitimate yeah. thing. I was like, you know what? I don't blame you. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, I mean, so, so which one were you more insecure about then, the hair loss or the height? I was, I was both, man, because I was the smallest kid in high school when I was a senior. I was the smallest kid in the school still, but I was a jock, so that was good. I was uh, on the you know, varsity lacrosse and soccer, but I was still the smallest kid, and I went through puberty late and started losing my hair early. So all these things, you've got the right guy. So I'm dead serious. I really am curious about this because I, I, I don't care how it sounds. I understand to the smallest degree that Instagram, I think I'm losing my hair. It's a little bit like losing your virility or something. Like, So take me back. What would you say? 23? 23 years old, single, and it starts to happen? In my studio apartment. 91st Street and Broadway, about 3.02 in the afternoon. <laughs> I was 23 years old, six months, four days, three hours, oh, two okay. minutes. I looked in a poorly lit bathroom mirror in my apartment, and I looked at kind of my widow's peak, hmm. and there just seemed to be a certain density, you know, a, a lack of density, um, a sparseness between, like looking into a forest where the trees were suddenly too far apart. I know this. And it was in an instant that I knew because my father was bald. I've been staring at him my whole life. So I knew that I was predisposed, but I kept it in a, a, the back of my brain, in a compartment. When I saw that, I just knew. Hmm. And it was, I don't have a strong enough vocabulary to describe the emotions, but crestfallen, depressing. Crestfallen. Uh, How quickly did it go? Horrible. How quickly did it go? Well, George Costanza would have said from that from that point you would have had about eighteen months, and his advice to you would have been to live, live, damn it. <laughs> That's <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, I kept a good eye on it. It happened quick, but um, I definitely it, it was it was not didn't happen that quick. Four or five years before I went uh, to the to the to the razor. That's you, a good four or five years, man. Did you fight it, Rogaine, Propecia? Did you fight it? This is not the type of the show I can describe how good that four or five years was. I mean, yeah. that was a window. Yeah, I will never. Well, forget. let me. Can I just tell you something? Can I just I tell you guys know. something? As a woman, I can't comment on the height thing because I'm five five. So most guys are taller than me. I don't know if I'd be into dating someone shorter than me. I haven't met many five four guys. But I, I will just speak for myself. I'd never notice a guy's hair unless it's absurd. Like, will your hair is like unfathomable it's unfathomable it's 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 i mean it has it should have its own hashtag it should have its own twitter account your hair is crazy you want to know but i I otherwise i don't notice if you're bald or not i really can't even remember it's not something i notice you've dated bald guys i believe i have that's a no i dated a guy who shaved his head for a long time and and honestly i didn't know if he was bald or not you would notice if you had like a Rudy Giuliani, Joe Biden comb over. Well, that's terrible. That's absurd. I notice right. absurd hair. You right. notice the fight. I notice the fight, which <laughs> right. which is more insecure than just the embrace yes. of the fact that you're bald. Did you notice my brilliant bipartisan comb over references? 
Would you say the? Oh yeah, Giuliani you, and <laughs> Biden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Biden doesn't. Biden has a transplant. Biden right? has plugs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Terrible. 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 But you could put aviator glasses over plugs and somehow pull off. I'm nothing. just trying to say, I don't think girls are as crazy about the baldness as you guys are. That may be. That may be. But it's it's it definitely is, as Will said, kind of there's this masculinity thing to it. But sure. It, you know, okay. if, you put me, if you put us in a lineup, it depends on what age you are. You know, by the way, it depends on how you never see a guy who's just ugly and bald and overweight and be like, man. You got the trifecta, brother. <laughs> yeah. like, and yellow teeth. <laughs> people will always say to me like it's a compliment or, or somehow going to make me feel better. It's okay. You have a great head for a ball guy. Like you have the perfect head for a ball guy. Uh, people have said, well, wait. You know, I mean, it's, it's, the shaved head is totally in, which, by the way, insinuates right. eventually it'll to- it, it might be out and I won't have a choice. All right, let me do this. We got we to gotta run, Pete, but, but before we go, so if this drug works, this, this one that makes you grow yeah. a full head of hair, Tell me, be honestly, be honest. Would you take it? Not interested. My life is so good, so low maintenance. I spend no money on hairstyling, on hair dyeing, brushing, no time. I live in pure confidence at this <laughs> point. It took a long time. All right. Pete Dominic, host of Stand Up with Pete Dominic. I join him most Tuesdays. You can listen to us on Sirius XM. Uh, Pete, we got some of your stand up act. We're going to have to bump that out a little later. But uh, thanks for joining fun. us, buddy. Thanks, thanks Pete. All right. When we come back on Candy Cup, what's the most liberal and conservative cities in your state? This is Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. Eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Kane and Cup returns now. Welcome back. Follow me on Twitter at Will Kane. Follow SC at SE Cup. Clarity Campaign Labs has done a study. It's published on theblaze.com on the most liberal and conservative cities in each of our fifty states. Just for example, the most conservative city in the state of Texas is Garden City, Texas. The most liberal is Sarita, Texas, in South Texas. As you look across the map. It's pretty consistent. Big, well-known cities are your most liberal cities in each of these states. Minneapolis, Minnesota, the most liberal in Minnesota. Small, unheard of cities are your most conservative cities in each of these states. Primsburg, Minnesota would be your most conservative city in that state. Mm -hmm. You and I were just talking. Liberals make good cities or go to good cities, one or the other, and bad nations. Look at the Northwest. They've got Missoula, Montana. Great, great town. city. Yeah. Boise, Idaho. Great town. Great town. Portland, Oregon. Seattle, Washington. Austin, Texas, which isn't the most liberal, but we all know is liberal. Fantastic in Texas. town. Great town. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why. I mean, yeah, it's weird because you can also look at liberal cities and like many are bankrupt, you know? Right, right. So maybe they're not run well, but you can certainly have a lot of fun there. They're bankrupt when their popularity runs out. Detroit, Michigan. Yeah, yeah. At its day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, exactly. You know what? Um, This is apropos of nothing, but I just want to inform our viewers since we were sharing about some of Will's insecurities. Yeah, listeners. Some of Will's insecurities. You know what's weird? We have a blackboard in here, and I was writing our our show topics on the blackboard, 
And Will Kane had to leave the room, not because I was like scratching the blackboard, because I was erasing the blackboard. I don't think that's uncommon. What? It was that dry sound. Never heard of it dry- before. Oh, Never heard of it before. The skin started moving. I have a lot of sound um, sensitivities, mouth noises for one. <laughs> forget it. Oh, forget it. Forget it. Forget it. I will cut you. I will. I mean, if we're in a movie theater and someone behind me is chewing too loudly, I will say something. I'm that person who oh, like, really? almost gets into a fight. Really? Yes. It's a constant problem because I can't expect everyone in my life to like not chew their gum loudly in my presence. Confrontational you are. I hate mouth noises, but I've never heard of anyone having that reaction to erasing a blackboard. I'm sure I'm not alone. It was amazing. When we come back, the debate over the Redskins, the patent in trade office, the United States government has weighed in. That is offensive. No more Redskins. When we come back on Canico. You're listening to Kane and Cobb. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to Kane and Cup. I'm Will Kane. I'm Essie Cup. When it comes to uh, ladies' opinions, apparently on Twitter, when it uh, regarding ma- male insecurities, it's it's height. Clearly, uh, according to you folks on Twitter, Michelle says I'm 5'10 and I only dated one guy taller than me, but she didn't say that with a smile on her face. Mm. Um, Rocky with an eye said she's 5'9 and would never date anyone shorter than her. Uh-huh. Um, but she wouldn't mind dating a bald man. I told you. It's all about height. It's more about height. Here's the question I want to ask you listening at home. Apparently, and let me go ahead and give a trigger warning at this point. I'm about to say something that apparently, according to MSNBC and Joy Reid, could be a slur. Offensive. Hide your kids. It could hurt your ears. Hide your kids. The Washington Redskins football team. Their Did nickname, we just bleep that? I hope we bleeped that. Did you bleep that, Jose? For our, uh, for our offended listeners. Did you bleep Redskins? You didn't bleep Redskins? Oh, we're going to get in trouble. You should bleep Redskins. We're going to get in trouble. Can you bleep Redskins from now on when I say Redskins? Thank you. The Washington Redskins um, football team, according to the United States government, to the Patent and Trademark Office, is a disparaging term. Now, what I want to ask you at home, 1-800-188-900-3393, is what's next? What team name is next? What team name after the Washington Redskins? is the most offensive one out there. I'll give you the NHL, the NFL, college sports, the NBA, minor league baseball. If the Redskins is socially inappropriate, so much so that it can no longer have trademark protection. Can't say it. What's next? Yeah. So this is the story. According to this week, the Patent and Trademark Office, the Washington Redskins nickname is disparaging. And it can therefore, according to the Lanham Act, a 1946 law prohibiting trademarks that may disparage or falsely suggest a connection with persons, living or dead, institutions and beliefs, no longer have trademark protection. It does not mean the Redskins cannot call themselves the Redskins. It just means that everyone else can as well. 
And if you want to sell Redskins, yeah, they can't make money off that sweatshirt. Name. They can make money, but so can I. So can you, right, right, right. Thus diluting their property value in the name Washington Redskins. If I want to sell hats and T-shirts and yeah. sweatshirts, I can. Yeah. Thus depriving them of millions upon millions of dollars. Yeah. In potential revenue. Yeah. Um. I think that the uh, the legal analysis is somewhat worth discussing. How is it that they were able to do this? Well, yeah, I would like to know. Um, I think we'd all agree that I don't think there's really a place for the government to get involved in this dispute. But clearly they are. I mean, the U.S. Patent Office has decided, based on this cultural argument that we're having, that the word Redskins is now, today, suddenly, uh, a, a slur and unworthy of a trademark patent. Well, how does that how does that come to be? First of all, we have and over the past years together that we've been on real news on this radio program talked several times about the United States government being weaponized, um, whether or not that's the IRS, yeah, um, or the NSA, uh-huh. whatever government branch is weaponized against the American people. I mean, this is a clear example. Of not only that, but the government deciding that every single social debate that we have, every single disagreement, or every single diversion actually from political correctness, it will be the final arbiter. It, yeah, it will step in. It will not just be the arbiter, it will step in. This is, I mean, this is usually something, this is, this should be something that we discuss as an electorate. We discuss maybe around our kitchen tables, we discuss at school, we discuss at water cooler, we discuss with friends. I'm I'm really kind of appalled that the government has decided to weigh in on this case. So it's Section 1052 of 15 U.S. Code, which gives the Federal Trademark Act this power. No trademark shall be refused registration on account of its nature unless it consists of or comp- uh, comprises immoral, deceptive, or scandalous matter. Now, by a two-to-one vote, the Trademark and Trial Board said that the term Redskins is disparaging and therefore does not live up to that standard set out in the U.S. Code. It's immoral or scandalous in material. But clearly it wasn't, right? There was a time when it wasn't. There was a time when the U.S. Patent Office was happy to award this trademark. You know what's interesting, S.E.? So according to this legal decision, it's not, it does not matter what anyone's opinion is today. You could take a poll of American Indians, and if 100% of them said it is an offensive term, it actually has no legal bearing on what the Patent and Trademark Office should rule. It, they're charged with looking at what the, the commonly held opinion was at the time the trademark was issued. And then this decision, they said, when that was done, 30% of American Indians were represented by the National Council of American Indians, NCAI. And they said it was offensive. So why did they award the patent in the first place? That's a great question. Why, why did the Redskins get the trademark? Because because for years and years and years, they've had that name. So someone at this government office did not find it disparaging at some point in time. It has become disparaging now. So even if their duty is to figure out what was disparaging at the time, that did not guide them at the time. Their duty to find out what was disparaging at the time. And then the question is, who gets to define what's offensive? Who gets to define what's disparaging? Um, The most famous poll on this is a 2004 Annenberg poll that found that 90% of American Indians do not find the term Redskins offensive. 
Yeah, lots, lots. In fact, find find pride in those kinds of monikers. Not being a Native American myself, I I, I really don't know, but um, uh, I've seen a lot of polling that suggests it's Redskins or Fighting Sioux or these other uh, Native American names. They take a lot of pride in their history being celebrated. In fact, the history is uh, important on this. The term Redskin had nothing to do in its origin with race mm. or even skin color. It had to do with the Algonquin Indians who painted themselves with red paint on their skins and referred to each other intertribally and then to the early pilgrims as redskins. Mm. Those are the redskins because they, yeah. they painted their skin red. Right. It later evolved and did, and, and did honestly to some extent accumulate a pejorative um, correlation. But who gets to decide when that is commonly – Disparaging, commonly offensive. This is largely a cause championed by white liberal politically pundits. correct right. pundits. Right, exactly. I was just going to say, you know who gets to decide? Pundits. Because, honestly, they're, they're the only people arguing about this. Really. They're keeping this alive so much. I, I talked to you about this. It's, it's kind of like the Don Sterling, L.A. Clippers situation, which, which is, is different for many reasons. However, when... A cultural moment reaches such a critical mass that people start to get nervous, right? Well, then something has to be done. Something has to be done about this. We can't just continue to debate it. That would be ridiculous. Something must be done. So in the case of Don Sterling, something had to be done. The NBA must do something. You must do something about this racist. This racist is in our midst. Yes, we know he's been in our midst for 30 years. Yes, we know we've taken a lot of money from him. Yes, we know we've we've ignored this for 30 years. But something now must be done. You must do something. And now this debate over the Redskins has hit such a critical mass, such a tipping point. And to allow this debate to continue would just be total chaos and anarchy. And we can't have that in a free society. We can't have just debate running amok something must be done so the u.s patent office something must be done you must do something about this it's really bizarre how we need to solve problems that in many ways free markets usually solve themselves right in the case of the clippers a lot of the players said we're just not going to play for this guy hey in my mind problem solved problem solved if there were enough people who said we're offended by the redskins we're not going to go to games we're not going to buy their merchandise the players said, well, we're not going to play for this team. Problem solved. But no, no, no. Something must be done. You must do something. Please come in and do something about this. It's a paranoid kind of existence that we live. And then the question, though, which was part of your analysis is, what is a critical mass? Right. When is it a critical mass? When enough of the politically correct white liberal pundits have decided this is no longer acceptable? Many people say critical mass is if one person is offended. Oh, and that's enough. One person's offended. That's offend- enough. It's just not important <laughs> enough. The nickname of a football team is not important enough to go around offending one person. Well, where does that lead us? And that brings us back to the question that I introduced. Where do we go next? Which team is next on the chopping block? I can find. Oh, it goes down the rabbit hole. I can find one person offended. Okay. I can find Let's go down the rabbit hole. Let's, Let's do it. Let's do that. When we come back, we've got a few calls as well. Where does this go next on Kane and Cup? This is Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network.
Will Kane and Essie Cup return. This has nothing to do with anything, but I just want to read a tweet I, I just got. It's from someone named at Elena Mo, and she says, Hello, I'm a TV star. Could you please make my profile with more followers? <laughs> <laughs> I adore that. <laughs> According to the United States Patent and Trademark Office, the term redskins is offensive by some standard, the standard of which we're still trying to figure out, whether well, it's 60%, 10%, 30% of whom... American Indians, white liberal politically correct pundits. At some point, it's just offensive, okay? Look, if one person is offensive, offended, then it is offensive. Chris Cooley, who used to be a tight end for the Washington Redskins on his radio show this week, actually talked about this. If all you need is one person, well, then I got a cause. And you know what that cause is going to be? I don't like the Chargers because I want to protect the ozone. Okay, guys? Mm. This is Chris Cooley on his radio show. I feel like there's a global warming issue, and I don't like the name Chargers because they're promoting electricity. That's a good one. F electricity and F the Chargers name. I have a problem <laughs> with them. All I got to do is get a pamphlet and 10% of a couple people and maybe a senator or two that wants to protect the ozone, and we're off and running. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Chargers. Sure. That's, that's next, according to Chris Cooley, former Redskins tight end. Jay in New York, what's next after the Redskins? Uh, next is the United Negro College Fund. How do you mean? Well, I mean, I'm sure some people might find that term offensive. Oh, so we're we're taking this out of the realm of sports, and you're Why just not? Mm-hmm. Why not? I mean, if they can, you know, get the PC police to rally around the Redskins' name, which, according to the last surveys, ninety percent of uh, Native Americans were not opposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, let's go with the ten percent rule, and after the United Negro College Fund, let's go with the uh, Congressional Black Caucus. You think black you might become offensive one day. Where do you stop with this? Well, I don't know. I mean, that's the uh that's 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 the question because, you know, we well we talked about what is a critical mass. It feels like mm-hmm. a critical mass because people with very large microphones are talking about it. But there's exactly. not a lot of them. And pens and keyboards. Um yeah. I, I do think Jay's right. I mean, you can find people offended to all of those terms. And um I'm I'm sure Chris Cooley's being facetious about the Chargers, but there is the Atlanta Braves. There are the Cleveland Indians, the yeah. Chicago Blackhawks. I mean, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I can tell you, I can tell you the next front of this. Oh, once, once we get off the Native Americans, the next front of this will come from my people, atheists. Now, you know, I'm an atheist, but I don't, I don't, I don't care about these causes that most most atheists cause about uh, care about, but. They are not going to stand. I'm telling you, one day, you can take your angels back, you can take your padres back, you can take your saints back, because I am offended that I have to support a team that has religious a religious moniker. It's kind of surprising that this hasn't become. Are, aren't you amazed? A cause. Among it sounds atheists. like something my people would do. Absolutely. It really does, because my people are crazy. <laughs> My people are crazy. I mean, I, I, I'll i never understand atheists who become such joiners and so militant and organized. That's one of the appealing parts of being an atheist to me. I'm not part of a group, a club of people who believe in the same thing. And you, I'm not angry at something. There's such a societal yearning to be a victim, to run to victimhood, to cloak yourself in offense. It's such a trend to be offended 
And then on the other side of the coin, to indulge other people's offenses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to take them seriously. Seriously, people suggest if one person is offended, then that is enough. And we've heard this debate when it comes to the video, The Innocence of Muslims, which supposedly set off protests across the Middle East because someone was offended. You know what? I'm a offended. A team that offends people's yeah. sense of whatever. Right, of whatever. I'm offended every day. Every day by something. By something. You because people are. are the worst. You truly are. People are the worst. You're offended by humanity. <laughs> I, I really am. I can't go anywhere without being offended. I get in my car, the guy next to me, I'm offended by you. I'm offended by the way you're driving today. I'm offended by the guy in front of me at lunch. Why are you taking so long to order? You're offending me. I could be, I could be professionally offended. In many ways, that's the job I now have. I'm professionally offended. Many it, people it's have working that job. Out. It's many working people out. have that job. You know what? What is so wrong with a group of people? Why, why do we need to solve this problem that people are offended? Why does the government need to solve it? Why does, why does society need to solve it? So you're offended. The world doesn't end because you're offended. I don't stop breathing because I'm offended 80,000 times a day. Maybe my heart rate goes up a little. I might not be very healthy. I My temper's a little short. But the world keeps turning. I don't know why we have this rush to solve the problem. Someone's offended, we must solve it. We must fix it. We must do something. We must find people, by the way. If God. they're not offended, we must convince them they should be offended. Yes, that's As in a the cottage. case of the American Indian who's not offended. No, that's a cottage industry. By the Redskins term. Let me tell no, no, you, you why you're offended. A, you should be offended. No, you should be offended. You should be offended. You should be offended. That is, you know, that is a total cottage industry of, of, and I, I got We cannot exempt our profession. I mean, people in this job. Why, why should do I that, be? Why should I be offended? Do that all the time because I'm here and I'm enlightened. And yeah, I know more than you about why you should be offended. But you understand the term redskin was actually about a body paint, and it was a. Uh, no, no. Let me explain to you, Will, why you should be offended, and the fact that you're not offended is offensive. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is not unlike what's happened to George Will in the past week. George Will writes a column about the supposed uptick in sexual assaults on college campuses, and he is literally being run out of the public debate. The St. Louis Post-Dispatch cancels George Will's column, Yeah, replaces him with Michael Gerson. Because something just, must be done. And let me just be clear. This industry... A victimhood and offense has weeded out George Will, one of the smartest, most intelligent, regardless of what side of the aisle you find yourself on, thinkers in the United States of America. But Thoughtful. our radar yeah. Yeah. for finding offensive people is so high, it has now weeded out the most intelligent among us. Have fun in the world you have created. Yeah. Have fun in the sandbox of the kiddies playground that you have created where we can't say anything to each other except dumb platitudes back and forth because you might trigger something. Yeah. You know what? Let me say something about George Will. Um, I was a little offended by his column. Were you? Sincerely? Are you being sincerely? Really? Sincerely. Yeah. I write about um, rape on college campuses a lot and I'm sick of people talking only about what to do after the fact and no one's talking about prevention. And while I liked that George Will was trying to talk about a culture that maybe creates this permissiveness for rape to go on and a culture that only treats rape after the fact like it's an inevitability, you're going to college, you might get raped. Just count on it. You're going to get raped. 
We're going to take away your stun gun. We're going to take away your pepper spray. God forbid you bring a gun on campus or a knife. We're going to totally disarm you. And when you get raped, we'll have a, a, a crisis center ready to hear your complaint. But I, I don't think he took the issue seriously enough. And, and, and by that, I don't mean that he wasn't thoughtful about it because he's a very thoughtful guy. But I was a little offended by what he said. You know what? I would never seek to silence him. I agree with a lot of what George Will has to say on other things, even if I didn't. He was You're talking largely. His column away? He was talking largely, by the way, about what we're talking about. A climate. Yes. A victimhood. Yes. No, that's right. That's right. And like I said, I was a little offended. I don't think um, his word choices were great on this. But you know what? Like I said, I am offended 24 hours a day. I have learned how to live with being offended. But no, something must be done. Something must be done about George Will. Is George Will going to keep his Washington Post call? Something must be done. He offended someone. Something must be done. It's so childish. And it really underestimates how capable we are and how smart we are as a society. We cannot handle being offended for even a minute. Something must be done. Somebody else offended people this week. Brian Schweitzer talking about gaydars. (laughs) Let's talk about that when we come back. You're listening to Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. Chiming in on Twitter, Michael at Mick Pat Soul. Notre Dame Fighting Irish is next. That stereotypical Irish guy is offensive to me. Mm. Uh, who is Ed Snowden at Autofixer? When you do this, are you supposed to read their 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 handle, their tag? I never know what to I mean I would do their their handle. Which one is that? The at part? The one without the at part. All right. I'm offended at the name Minnesota Vikings. You just sounded 80 years old, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) I'm offended at the name Minnesota Vikings. It depicts my ancestors as violent, barbaric warriors. Yeah. That's right. Who is Ed Snowden? Are there modern-day pirates? Because I'd be pretty offended at Buccaneers. Well, of course. In Somalia. That's right. (laughs) It's not only... It's racist. Now I think about it. It is. Need to convince them that they should start an uproar over this. Pittsburgh Pirates, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you're next. Yeah, you're you're on the list. Just made the list, pal. You're on the list. Um, you know who else stepped in it this week? Brian Schweitzer, former governor of Montana. Uh, let me say for the record, I know Brian Schweitzer. He's a great guy. Uh, a lot of fun. He has filled in on Crossfire with me to guest host. Mm-hmm. Did he wear his bolo tie? Oh yeah. Big Bolo fan. Yeah. Big Bolo fan. He also uh, gave me a signed copy of the book that his dog wrote. <laughs> signed by his dog. Uh, no, he's a character. I mean, Brian Schweitzer is folksy. He's, um, you know, he's sort of an anathema. He's a Democrat and considers himself like a far left progressive Democrat, right? Like to the left of Obama, to the left of Hillary. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I didn't know he considered himself that. Oh, yeah. I mean, his because he's thinking about running for president, all of his press recently has been to position himself to the left of both Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama, who he thinks are corporatists, you know, capitalism. Um, They've been corrupt. They've taken too much money from the banks. They're not representing the real people, Um, which is which is weird. 
because his position on gun control because is his famous quote on guns is how many guns do you own, Governor? More than I need, less than I want. Right. Um, he's you know like a cattle rancher in Montana, and so he brings some of that. So, shall we say sensibility to some of his language? He folksy, gave an, common folksy. Sense. Yes. Now he gave an interview to the National Journal this week. Uh, Marin Kogan over there, and it was colorful. He also uh, overshared, let's say, uh, and offered some offered some opinions that won't 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 earn him any um, won't earn him any favors on the progressive wing of the, of the aisle. So let's just reiterate: this is a name, Brian Schweitzer, not known in many national circles. Um, who is commonly mentioned as perhaps the top rival to Hillary for the Democratic nomination for president in 2016. Yeah, he has openly talked about thinking about running for president. Right. He is considering it. Not a good week for that. Not a good week. Not a good week. Someone forgot to tell him he's thinking about running for president as a Democrat. Because here's what he said. Uh, Number one, Southern guys, they're just effeminate. Oh, okay. Uh, Eric Cantor, minority leader, House minority leader, sets off his gaydar. Oh, that seems personal. <laughs> I don't know that I need to know. I don't know. I, I don't need to know what's going on there. And um, thanks for sharing. He also likened Diane Feinstein, a Democrat and a woman, to a hooker. Yeah. Do you have the exact quote on that one? Yeah, it, I, I'm, I'll paraphrase, but he said... Um, She's like a woman standing under the streetlight on the corner with her skirt above her knees. And then all of a sudden, she's a nun. And what he was talking about was Diane Feinstein's uh, work for the intelligence community. Being sort of offended by the intelligence community while working for the intelligence. It was, he was calling her a hooker for the intelligence community, which I don't think you can do. I don't think you're allowed to do that. So let's just, I'm just making a list here of people that. that Brian Schweitzer. Offended. 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 Well, number one, Eric Cantor. Well, that's the least of his worries. What the heck, Eric Cantor? He's married. He's got children. But he sets off Brian Schweitzer's gaydar. Sorry, Eric Cantor. Not a great week for you. <laughs> so let's say he offended gay people. He offended. Well, he offended. The concept of the gaydar surely didn't help him out with that constituency. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, probably not. Also calling Southern men effeminate. That's going to hurt. That's going to hurt. That's going to hurt. That's half. That's, that's the lower half of the country. And then there's women. And then there's, (laughs) and then there's women. In an election where he will be running against the potential woman first woman president of the United States. Woman. Yeah. Yeah. He offended. Women. 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 It's a big... There's a lot of us. There's a lot of us out there. And and then, of course, he offended Diane Feinstein, I'm, I'm assuming. However. Who said, keep Brian Schweitzer away from my husband. However. <laughs> you know, I Brian Schweitzer, okay, I disagree with many of these things, but I don't think he's like, I, I, I don't, the, the gaydar comment, come on. I mean, have we politically corrected ourselves out of that being a concept that can ever be repeated? No. Yeah. No. Set aside Cantor. Was it smart? <laughs> Was that was that a smart thing I to say? I don't want to do the politics. Yes, 
submitted. All dumb. No, okay, all dumb. Okay, submitted. Election. Dumb, dumb. Great. Um, no, was that the worst? The worst thing you could say? No, of course. If you were a conservative, it's the worst thing you can say. You wouldn't get away with that. Your career would be over. And I know what image he has in his mind all when he's talking right. about southern men. No, <laughs> on southern men. Okay. I understand the image he has in his mind. I, I Texas is pseudo south. Okay. What are you conceding? We here? seceded. What are you conceding here? Um, I'm saying that Brian Schweitzer had some element of truth in some of the things he said. He was making an observation that he is not the first to make, is what you're saying. About Southern men? Yeah. Is that a commonly held? Well, I've certainly heard that before. Let me state again for the record submitted. If I'm running for president, I don't say it. (laughs) But I've, I've heard that before. But you know what? I've heard from Southern men that, like, Northeasterner guys, the hipsters, they all look a little gay. Wearing I've heard your, that. Wearing your pastel shorts. Okay. Okay. Um, not not smart. And he, he did. He apologized on Facebook, of course. Because why? Because something must be done. People are offended. Something must be done. You must do something. You must apologize. So he did. I don't think we've heard the last of Brian Schweitzer's folksy tales. Because it does not take much. I mean, I've been in a room with him. You you don't have to do much to get him going. That makes him endearing. Right. And I, I think there will be people. Unfortunately, he's running in the wrong party. There would be people on the right who would find that endearing. Tell it like it is. I uh, Liberals don't have that same sense of humor. Liberals are very self-serious. What did he say? Cantor set off 60, 70 percent of his gaydar. And any he, he, he did. Means... He did qualify, by the way. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't have a problem. I'm accepting yeah, he did say that. He said he doesn't have a problem. If if Eric Cantor happens to be gay, you're still okay in Brian Schweitzer's book. But Brian Schweitzer's 60-70% sure. <laughs> His gaydar is 60-70% to 70% sure that Eric Cantor is gay. I like that he has a number on it, too. It's a number. It's a number. It wasn't off the charts. It wasn't like, woo, woo. It was <laughs> just past the 50% mark. That part, where you, that part where you really feel comfortable speaking it out loud. Yeah, yeah, you're sure, you're sure, but you're you're sure enough to to talk about it, but you're not a hundred percent sure. All right, let's do this. <laughs> um, let's get off Brian Schweitzer's gaydar. Let's take a break, and when we come back, you have some news. I do. Se Cup has some news. Some, okay. I can't say exclusive. She gave that to the Washington Post. Um. <laughs> She has some news to share with all of us. This is big. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not overselling something here. It's big. It's big news. It's not big yet, but it's getting there. When we come back on Kane and Cup, you're listening to Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. Ugliest baby you have ever seen. Oh, I couldn't look. It was like the Pekingese. Boy, a little too much chlorine in that gene pool. Um, so. <laughs> so a couple weeks ago, you were not here. Yeah, and I, I here. asked the audience, where is Essie Cup? Venture d- your guesses. Where, where did you think I was? Why is she not here? I don't know where you were. 
Uh, I had some family visiting. So, several people on Twitter ventured guesses, and I have to say, I told them at the time, some of you are close. Now, it wasn't the reason she was out, but... Well, I'm having a baby. Yay! Hey! Which has nothing to do with why I was out. It's not like I was out because I was making a baby. Okay. Or oh. I was like, I was like finding out if I was having a baby. I was out because I had family visiting, and, and that's that. Uh, but yes, I am pregnant. I am four months along. Very excited. Uh, we know that we're having a boy. All right. Yeah. Uh, so, of course, John's very proud. I made a boy. <laughs> um, yeah, we're really excited. And we've been joking about what, I mean, this, this kid's going to be a hellraiser. But we were joking because John and I are both, you know, in politics and very opinionated. Joking about what this this kid's first words were going to be and... I think he's going to come out saying something like, Mom, let me stop you right there. (laughs) We know he'll be a little argumentative. I told you his first word is going to be an eye roll. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know that he's going to be offended by everything I do. Everything I do will will offend his sensibilities. Clearly, we know (laughs) the argumentative gene is there. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You argue with your folks. You argue with your mom. Yes? Oh, yeah. We debate. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen it. <laughs> oh, you have? Oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah, you've been around me and my mom. Yeah, we debate. I mean, I was raised to to have opinions. First of all, I'm Italian. Second of all, my mom's an English teacher, so she is very, um, you know, she uses her words well. And, yeah, that's just something I grew up doing. I found the right job. So when is young sire? Mm. Good one. Yep. Do. Uh, at the end of November, beginning of December, right on the cusp there. What's that make him? What do you mean? What's his sign? Oh. Uh, you do know, you do that stuff? I don't, but someone told me. Um, Sa- Sagittarius. Mm. I don't know what that means. I don't either. Do don't you? Do, do you I care? Know. No. I know do you know the is. signs of your children? No. <laughs> no, seriously, I don't. Uh, no. What's yours? Aries. I'm a Pisces. I don't know what that means. Yeah. I, I, I don't care. Um, I don't care. But apparently he'll be a Sag. Do you do you want to you wanna ask me advice? You have questions for oh, me? Oh, see, that's interesting because <laughs> I've been getting a lot of unsolicited advice. I like that Will asked, do you want my advice? Well, I assumed. <laughs> when you said, what are we going to talk about in this segment besides me telling everybody? Yeah. I said, well, you, clearly you're going to use this opportunity to ask me questions. Right, right. So what if you had- Because my parent, I'm in spotless record so far, I think. Um, yeah, for those of you who don't know, Will is very proud of his parenting. Expert. He'd be happy to parent your children. Not if, really, but I'll consider it. If they, uh, if if you have problem kids, he has said to me on more than one occasion, I can fix that. Give me a long weekend. I can fix that. <laughs> there's 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 no lack of swagger on this side of the table uh, for parenting. What? Well, as we should we, we should point out, my children are young. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It has your track record is short. Right. But uh, as as the father of two boys, yeah, give me one or two main sort of lessons that I need to know. Prepare, you know, you and prepare I were, for a boy. You and I were joking about this, but I'm dead serious. The goal should be to be a loving 1950s dad. Yes, right. Okay. Well, that's more advice for John. But okay. Yeah, I don't know how to do your job. <laughs> what is what is my job, Will? Do you know? It's a tenderness. <laughs> You know, sympathy, the things you're cut out for. (laughs) 
Well, then I'm screwed. Right. I am screwed. So I'm not good at those. Um, <laughs> I tell you what. Don't tell us right now what the name you have picked out. I wasn't planning on it. Okay. But okay. <laughs> but we do need to do a segment, and we will do a segment on names, on baby names. Um, what's in, what's out. Cool. Names are way, way more trendy than we like to admit. Everyone thinks I'm picking out the most unique, modern, one-of-a-kind name, and you are not. Right. Or and if you are, you're making a mistake. It kind of sounds dumb. <laughs> yeah. If you are, it sounds really stupid. Um, <laughs> it's interesting how over time names follow these massive trends. Yeah. Um, Jennifer of the 1980s, you know, very popular in the 1980s. Right, um, right. And and they cycle and they come in and out of fashion and style and very our grandparents' names are in style again right now. Really, my grandmother's name is Blanche. I would never do that to someone. That's not quite in yet. But no, <laughs> I don't know that that one will come back. <laughs> Blanche. Uh, Five thirty eight did a study on this on which names come back, how long it takes, which huh. ones are about to come back. Oh. Um. So it's interesting. We'll see. We'll, we'll see where yours is. We'll see where the name you have selected, if you're willing to share with us. Okay. You know, names is one of those things you don't want to share because then you get a ton of feedback that you never want to hear. I don't really Especially care. when you have options. We're considering this versus this. We're considering Harry versus Wade. Everyone has Wade. Where'd you get Wade? I don't know. <laughs> Wade. Um, well, we're not considering. We have chosen a name, and I don't really care what people think about it. That is the name. Mm-hmm. And so maybe, yeah, in a later segment, we can get a... We can get into the uh, the history of, of those name choices because I think that's interesting. And I'd like to know where my name fits in the right. in the swing of things. Is it going to be super popular or super weird? I don't know. I'm really happy for you. Oh, this thanks. is good news. Thank you. Thank this you. is fun news. Thank you. All right. When we come back on Canon Cup, now SE Cup has parenting advice for us. <laughs> <laughs> Listening to Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. Will Kane S E Cup R Kane and Cup only on the Blaze Radio Network. I am not, you know, uh, a great believer in our style of parenting. What I mean is our generation, you, me, anybody that has kids now, I I just think we're too into it. (laughs) What do you mean? We're too into this thing. I don't know how we got so into it. When we were kids, our parents didn't give a damn about us. (laughs) They didn't even know our names. But when I think of the the bedtime routine for my kids is like this royal coronation jubilee centennial (laughs) of rinsing and plaque and dental appliances and the the stuffed animal semicircle of emotional support and I gotta read eight different moron books. You know what my You know what my bedtime my bedtime story was when I was a kid? Darkness! (laughs) My bedtime story. That's it. See, he nailed it. It's absolutely true. Bedtime so is good. at least a half hour process. Yeah. And that's coming from somebody who I think doesn't quite, I, I think, you don't give a whole lot to it. Right. 
<laughs> do you read moron books? <laughs> we do read every night. That's, That's a, amazing. Speaking of uh, of names, parents not knowing names, Pat in Michigan has some name advice for you, Se. I think he has mm. a, a a suggestion. Pat. Yeah, so Se, you know, with your Italian lineage, I'm glad that you're going to be having a masculine child. That's that's very important. <laughs> Thank you, Godfather. <laughs> so, so, so going forward, all right, I want you to right here on the vast Blaze Network. I'd like you to rise above the fray okay. and give that give that boy a good Italian name. Okay. And this this is my name. It's my grandfather's name. My grandfather's grandfather's name. Well, now I can't say that I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you set the table, Pat. <laughs> what is it? What is it, Pat? Pasquale. Oh, Pasquale. Wow, <laughs> it's a great uh, name. Uh, Pasquale, middle name Giovanni. Wow. Yeah, and then that's uh, that's wicked Italian, Pat. Why are you going by Pat? Yeah. Well, it's easier for white people. (laughs) (laughs) But us mooks, you know, I can do Pasquale. Get your call screener trained up to that name. (laughs) Okay. Well, wait wait a minute. If your name and this, so look here, I am. I'm from a small town in Texas. I was just telling SC this yesterday. I didn't grow up around Italian people. Like there just wasn't a wasn't a thing. They didn't know there was no Giovannis. There was no there was nobody like that in Sherman, Texas. Nothing. What's the uh, colloquialism? What's the shortening for Pasquale? My name is Pasquale, but I go by Pat. Pat. <laughs> right. Really? Really? Is that the common? That's that's well, in Italy. You go by Pasquale. Everybody, hey Pasquale. That's that's how you would be referred to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I mean, rise above the fray, Essie. Don't don't go with the trend. Don't go with the common. Stand out. Make that boy stand out above the crowd. Make sure he's in a Catholic school so he doesn't get beat up so much, and you'll be fine. Wow. Well, Pat, thank you for the advice. I do appreciate it. I will take it into consideration. Squally, come over here. Shut your mouth. Oh, <laughs> that was Will practicing well, his well. Italian accent. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, I get a lot of um, unsolicited advice now. Which, like which is great. I'm actually gonna, um, I'm gonna put it into a, uh, some kind of book. Because, wh- of course, I'm gonna turn this into a content revenue. <laughs> you start pimping that kid out gonna, now. Exactly. I'm going to turn this into a content driver, one way or the other. Um, but I have, I, 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 maybe it's because I'm noticing them now. But I, I came across three different parenting stories this week. Um, all of which I believe. In the New York Daily News, <laughs> coincidentally, and uh, I wanted to get your take, you and uh, and our our listeners, eight 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 nine hundred three three nine three. I'm going to read three parenting stories, and they were all interesting for different reasons. And I want to know if the consensus is this is bad parenting or none of your business. Okay, so listen. Now, of course, I'm a here. We go. You're opinionated. So Expert I know. parent on the panel. Expert parent. Me. But I would like to not do this alone. 888-900-3393. If you think I'm not the expert, no, then your I don't voice want just Will's advice. needs to be contributed. Or Twitter, at SECup, at Will Kane. I need normal parents who have a little humility to weigh in here on whether this is bad parenting or none of your business. And some of these, I mean, some of these are worse than others. But let's let's start let's start at the top. All right. Okay. Here I go. Story number one out of Florida. 23-year-old mom, Kayla Oxenham, brands her daughters to mark them as hers. Let me tell you more. She used a lighter to heat up a stick 
and then branded her five and seven-year-old daughters. Let me tell you, she is a medical assistant. And, of course, she was arrested for child neglect, but um, has not been charged yet. Okay. And she told, the kids told investigators that their mom branded them so she could distinguish them from other children. Okay, so several things here. After some expert consideration and analysis, this is bad parenting. Okay. I had a feeling. I had a feeling. Um, (laughs) There's so many angles to go with here. We could just stop with, you can't discern your children from other ones on the playground. That's bad parenting, anyhow. You have to brand them to figure out which one's yours. Uh, By the way, I have buddies that got branded. What? Not by their parents. I'm sorry, what? Yeah. By whom? By friends? Fraternity. They did the brand thing in the fraternity. How about that? Men. Coat hanger. Heated up. What? Shaped into frat letters. Oh my God, that is terrible. Pressed into buttockses. Isn't that something you come to regret? Yeah, that's bad. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so we all agree. Bad parenting. Branding your kids to tell them apart. Bad parenting. Right. I mean, everyone knows you tattoo them. (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. At least do it hygienically. Okay, next story. Bad parenting or none of your business? There is a furor over the fact that Kim Kardashian has pierced her baby's ears. Her baby is not yet one years old, I think. And she came out with a pair of diamond studs. Oh, sorry, for her first birthday. She got a pair of diamond studs for her first birthday. And uh, people on the mommy blogs went crazy, calling her cruel, said they were unfit parents. Some accused her of child abuse or even mutilation. Bad parenting. Really? Bad parenting. Oh, I, I would disagree. You would say none of your business? I'd say none of your GD business. <laughs> yeah. None of your business. You know, yeah. uh, look, not even one years old. One year old birthday. So? You know, How this- old were you when you were snipped, Will? I'm sorry? Yeah. Yeah, you heard me. <laughs> oh, interesting correlation you just drew. Um, this is, is, I'm sure the mommy blogs blew up. This is much they more, did. I think, in the realm of a, where women have opinions. But what is the right age to pierce your daughter or allow your daughter to pierce her ears? It's really not a big deal. And actually, in this article, someone um, who, from another mommy blog who was weighing in on the other side, said, look, this is actually really common for girls in Latin American countries. Um, she had her baby's ears pierced when she was four months old. Uh, I was I was young. I think I was four or five years old. Really? Yeah. yeah. When you got your ears pierced? When I got my ears pierced. Yeah, it was just something that everyone did. And it's not it's not dangerous. There's no, I mean, if there's- If I have a girl, I do not want her ears pierced at that age. Well, that's that's a fine decision for you to make. But you really think, on the other hand, it's bad parenting? I'm allowed to judge. That's the whole point of No, parenting. I want you to judge. Judging other parents. Now, the American Academy of Pediatrics does not have an official policy statement on piercing babies' ears. Okay, if you're okay with piercing their ears, are you okay with piercing their nose? Uh, no. Oh, well, it seems arbitrary. Why? Well, it is arbitrary, but it's also just when you're talking about, like, societal norms. What about belly button rings? No. But that's also, I think, proven to be less sanitary than ear piercing, as is nose piercing. So you're okay. But clearly, I'm no clearly with an people infant have infant ear piercing, but 
What about a seven-year-old no, n- nose piercing? I wouldn't do that. No, but that's me. But but someone. But you'd who- say bad parenting. You wouldn't say none of your business. Um. No. I. No. I. My bad parenting judgment. I. I really reserve that. I. I don't like judging other parents. Mm-mm. You're gonna judge. You Am just. I? You're gonna be so judgmental. I'm a pretty judgmental person. Yes. <laughs> and you have any parenting is the realm of greatest judgment. Right. You look at other people and go, I can't believe they're doing that. <laughs> so, okay, fine. Will Kane says, bad parenting. Tell me if you disagree. 888-900-3393. Bad parenting to pierce your, your daughter's ears at a, at a too young age. Story number three is actually pretty, is just tragic. Um, a Georgia man, you might have heard about this this week, was charged with murder. After leaving his 22-month-old boy in his car while uh, he went to work. And it was an accident. He meant to drop the kid off at daycare. Forgot he was strapped in his car seat in the back. Drove to work. Worked a full day. Oh, my god! It's 90 degrees. Came out. And obviously the baby was dead. Uh, terrible. Uh, terrible. I don't need your answer. Is this bad parenting? Is this none of your business? It doesn't even apply. He feels, oh, you know, I mean, he's despondent. You think you should have been charged with murder? He needs to be charged with something. Yeah. I need to know the Georgia statutes on what murder is versus manslaughter and those different qualifications. But it's just not a mistake you're allowed to make. Yeah, he was charged with murder and cruelty to children. Wow. They call, they're calling it an unthinkable tragedy. No one thinks he did this on purpose. But, I'm sure that's true. But, man, can you imagine? I mean, he just didn't remember that his baby was in the back, and he went to work at an area mall. Man. Uh, Josh in Arkansas, you have the floor to judge these stories. Josh. Yeah, what do you think? Okay, um... My my phone broke up, so I didn't hear story number one. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick up on story number two. Uh, don't brand your kids. If you want to tell them apart, apart, uh, put a beanie on them. Put a different color hat. Tie a ribbon around their arm. Do something. Tie you know, a leave your shoes untied so they're always the ones falling down. <laughs> Wait, let me just make sure I got that. Keep one of their shoes untied so one of them is always falling down. Yeah. No. <laughs> I love that. What about the other one? What about the piercing your daughter's ears at uh, I, I, age one? I was about to get into that. I've never understood why people do that. But then again, um, I would say bad parenting. But as you came out with a very good observation about getting, you know, mm-hmm. down below. Um, <clears throat> what, boys, I, what boys have done, yeah. Yeah, at, at 33. Circumcision, I, we can say. I would not want to go in and get snipped uh, or anything like that. But, you know, um so I guess I kind of understand that. But children, whenever they're first born, we mutilate them with all these vaccines and stuff like that anyway. What's what's another couple of holes in, in their ears? All know? right, Josh, thanks for the call. Uh, for the record, I think we should be vaccinating our children. Um, I think the circumcision debate, boy, that's an interesting one. It is on the decline. Let me tell you this. Rocky with an I says that in Hispanic culture, it accepts that baby girls are pierced at an early age. Yeah. Carla at Greco six one one said she did it at three months at the at the doctor's office had her doc, her daughter's uh, yeah I think pierced. that's a more common thing than than not um, I, I I just think that that's fine and actually my doctor has been we've been talking about circumcision oh uh, this is a segment we're doing this 
Because my doctor's is basically like, it's not a, there's no reason for it anymore. You can be just as sanitary. I can give you some reasons. Well, I have my reasons as well. Let's take a But break. my doctor says, you know, you, you don't have to do it and still have a sanitary uh, young boy. All right, let's take a break. Uh, stick with us. Be back in just a moment on Kane and Cup. You're listening to Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. In 1979, two-thirds of all boys in the West, so the United States and Europe, um, underwent circumcision. By 2010, that had dropped to 58% of boys were getting circumcision. This is from a Time Magazine article in 2013. Um, didn't know we'd be talking about this today, but... No, but you had to go and say getting your ears pierced is bad parenting. <laughs> you, had to, you had to say, that. Why, why would you make that decision for your child? Right. I don't know if you got to play any role in that decision that was made for you, Will. Did you? I played no role in that decision. And in this article, by the way, a doctor says, uh, back in the good old days, uh, we didn't even ask about it. Didn't talk about it. Just did it. (laughs) You just did it. (laughs) Circumcision. Listen to this. Look at this graph. This is is, uh, from the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Now, this is the rate of circumcision broken down by regions in the United States. Okay. Can you make a guess, by the way, where circumcision has plummeted? One region of the four, we'll say Midwest, Northeast, South, and West. One, the rate of circumcision has plummeted. Midwest. Incorrect. Um, all regions have gone down a little. The Midwest, over the last 30 years, has gone from about 75% to just over 70% rate okay. of circumcision. The Northeast, almost the same, right around 65%. Mm-hmm. South, the, then. The South. Yeah. Uh, still. About the same, 55% rate of circumcision, and it looks like it's hovering right around there. The West, and this does not uh, surprise me. I don't understand. California. What about it? Uh, In 1980, a 65% rate of circumcision. By 2010, that's plummeted to below 45%, close to 40% rate of circumcision. Why are you saying California? There you go. Why are you, why, I don't understand the the argument you're making. Yeah, those hippies out there. Hippies don't want to be circumcised. That's what you're saying? No, it is a new faddish thing to to not not. be circumcised. The point is asking these questions like, why would you do that? It's mutilation. It's uh, pointless. Mm -hmm. Um, You see a common personality type that does this. I'm not saying it's wrong. I don't know anything. I don't know anything. I don't know anything. I know that, um, you know, my Jewish friends get their baby boys circumcised. And most, uh, most other people I know do too, but... But fewer than yesterday. Yeah, apparently. Apparently. We should open this up uh, in the future, not this week. But I'm curious what um, what the opinions are out there and why you yeah. should or should not circumcise. Look, when it's dropping and it's at a 50% rate, um, there's a debate going on. Right, right. <laughs> like in the doctor's right. office. A quiet debate. A quiet debate. Should but, we? But, should we? Should we? By the way, I was yeah. in the room for that. Oh, uh, with your boys? With my boys. Yeah. Would you, would you advise against that for... My husband? I'd say that was a painful process to witness. Was it? Yes. Oh, but don't uh, you want to be there? You want to? 
You want to be there for that moment. It's just a father-son thing. I want to be there for you. Understand this is traumatizing. Oh. So it's not just my role to be tender. That's right. There are moments. That's right. Moments. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will be interested to hear what the audience's opinion is on... on um, another, another day. Another day. We'll have a circumcision segment. And maybe... Who knows? A game of bros. <laughs> Why not? This is a debate you're having, by the way? No. We've made a decision that will remain private, but yeah, we've made a decision. Um, no, it was just, I was interested because my doctor asked what we wanted to do. We told her, and then she sort of said, well, um, you know, here are the pros and cons, and not everyone does it, and it was just, it was the first time, obviously, I'd had that conversation, and it was a surprising one to have. And then when this story came up about getting ears pierced, I thought, huh, well, the, 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 those two things happen for totally different reasons, but I wonder if, you know, there's an equal uproar over um, circumcision. This article suggests there is legitimate reasons that 81% less bacteria overall for men who are circumcised. My my doctor said that that's just not true anymore. That well, like, sounds like we have a debate on our hands. It's just not as unsanitary to not get circumcised as it was in the past. But I don't know. This is a whole new world for me. To cut or not to cut. This is this is this is all new stuff that I'm going to have to deal with. Adam Apocalypse at Grasshopper Q on Twitter says, I can't believe how you guys can make talk of circumcision interesting. Circumfrickincision. You're awesome. I'm sorry. Adam. That's this is, easy. This is sledding downhill. How do we make interesting <laughs> conversation of Iraq? That's the better question. Circumcision? Writes itself. That writes itself. No, I mean, uh, whole new world, a brave new world of things that I'm going to have to get my, get my, my hands into these days. It's going to be a, an exciting, fun journey. You've got uh, your favorite guy to mock. Yes, I One do. One of your enemies you want to talk about. One of my nemeses. Your nemesis. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about him. Coming up. You can make fun of him when we come back. Please do. On Kane and Cup. This is Kane and Cup. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Remember when Mike Francesa, New York sports radio personality, a couple of months ago criticized a Mets second baseman for taking three days off to be with his newborn son. Yeah, I remember we had that conversation. We talked about it. I actually went on um, ESPN radio to talk about it. Uh, because I just found I found it so outrageous, outrageous, and and the way Mike Francesa did it was so crazy pants. It was crazy pants. Mike Francesa, New York radio, sports radio personality, one of the biggest in the New York market. 
Yeah, he's well known. I mean, he's well known for being absurd, but um, he's well known and big baseball guy and did not, you know, bragged essentially that when his kid was born, he was back to work within a couple hours as if the world needs Mike Francesa that badly that he it, it will stop turning if he spent a couple days with his wife and newborn baby. Um, just like gross, just a Neanderthal. He's just a mook. You don't okay? like you don't like Mike Francesa. So I don't like Mike Francesa. Well, before we move on, yeah. is there a, is there a reason, or is it just based on what you've heard over the air? I mean, have you had an interaction? Oh, I don't know. Has him. he said anything about you? Um, I don't think he had nice things to say about me after that, but I don't I don't really remember. I've not met him. I don't have a personal relationship. This isn't a personal thing. This is not personal. He made it a little personal when he attacked a father for staying home with his child, which is none of his business, and get out of your rarefied sports world. The world does not revolve around baseball. I'm sorry. I say that as a baseball fan. He's just absurd. He's an absurd character. And it was a little sweet this week to see him attempt to understand soccer. Um. You know, it's World Cup time. And I know, like, I, I like soccer. I, I know that most Americans don't watch soccer. That's fine. And so there's always, every World Cup, there's always this thing we do where we're like, oh, the World Cup, who cares? Soccer's boring. And then eventually by the end, everyone's rooting for a team. And then we go back to forgetting about soccer and who cares? Um, Mike Francesa has owned the fact that he doesn't like soccer, doesn't know anything about soccer, thinks soccer can go away, doesn't matter. Forget the fact that, it's actually the third most watched team sport. I'm sorry, most played team sport in this country behind baseball and basketball. 13 million people play soccer in this country. They're all six. Your boys will be playing soccer. They do. That's my point. Exact amount. Everybody plays soccer when they're But that's six. what I'm saying. He has, he has children. Like, he knows nothing about soccer. Um. Anyway, what happened over the air, he invited Dave Mazur, who's um, – coach of the St. John's men's soccer team, to come on to talk about the World Cup. And Mike Francesa, uh, how do I put this? Mike Francesa knows so little about soccer. I think he knows less than your six-year-old, for sure. And uh, that was abundantly clear. Let's, let's, play, let's play the tape. And, 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 and a system that takes place. And I saw a guy make a play. winning kick with a lefty kick. Are there guys who kick with both legs? Yeah, most everybody kicks with both oh, legs. Oh, they do. <laughs> I mean, there's not a strong leg. Kick with both legs, huh? Everybody kicks usually, wow. except for sometimes lefties. Mike, you know, there's a little little dominance. So for everybody quarters. uses. There's not a power leg. They each use both legs, huh? Generally, use both legs, wow. Mike. There, there can be a predominant leg, but okay. you, you really have to be capable. So even of your righty, your righty key even has to be able to kick with his left leg, then, huh? Absolutely. Okay. I noticed that because I know them kick left. I said, wow, I wonder if a lot of guys kick with both legs. So everybody kicks with both legs. Okay. That's one of the things we start very, very early in when we're teaching kids is rhythm, balance, speed, explosion, and, and part of it has to do with utilizing your opposite foot so that you become, you know, ambidextrous um, so that you can, because when you do that, it allows you to see the whole field. So if you teach kids just to play with one foot, they're going to tend to just drift. Wow. Wow. Mike Francesa asking not once, not twice, not three times, but four or five times if you can kick with both feet. Wow. I don't think I'm as uh, wow. appalled as you. 
I'm not appalled, but it's hilarious that a sports expert who is on the radio knows so little about one of the most popular and well-played sports in this country, knows so little that he is amazed that you kick with both legs. All right. All right. Now listen, you're 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 that's the first time I heard that tape. Wow. You're 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 kicking him. Wow. You're kicking him in the nuts a little hard. Oh, I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. This was everywhere this week. Um it's a reasonable to assume that there's a predominant leg. What? And he's simply I'm sorry, asking what? there's a what? Reasonable? What? Reasonable. It is not. It is not. So you're telling me guys are ambidextrous. I would assume everybody has a predominant leg. And he is saying you can kick with both legs. Wow. Wow. Um, No, what I think is, look, it's it's cool to not know the ins and outs of soccer. He goes on to ask um, questions like, is Brazil a top team? Yes, Mike. Brazil is a top team. Is Switzerland good? Not very, Mike. No, not very. And he asks, you know, he asks questions that people who don't know about soccer would ask, which is fine. Like, uh, do you, uh, do you, how do you, how do you calculate the time clock? Um, he says, excellent question, by the way. Uh, yeah, fine. Is there a special prize? Is there a special prize? What does the team get for winning the World Cup? He asks questions to not know if guys use both legs in this sport. And to ask it five different ways, I think is embarrassing to him as a sports expert. You are on the radio to talk about, you don't have to know about politics. You don't know, have, you don't have to know anything else going on in the world except sports. He's asking if there's a predominant leg, essentially. He's not wow. asking, guys run, what are you wowing me every time I speak? He's not asking if there's a bunch of one-legged guys running around out there. He's asking, you're telling me guys are ambidextrous when you would assume a righty in baseball throws with his right arm. Are there guys that kick with both legs? Are there guys that kick with both legs? (laughs) Wow. Wow. Here's the thing about soccer. Get out of the world. Like, get out in the world, Mike Francesa. Come see the rest of the world. It's pretty cool. There's people who've this week taken the contrarian view that What's with all these soccer haters out there? The thing about it is there's no soccer hate. It's soccer couldn't care less. Right. There's a lot of soccer apathy. Yes. Yeah, I don't I, I don't mind it. I don't need everyone to be soccer fans. That's okay with me. It's because you fashioned a game where an acceptable outcome is 0-0. Zero, zero. Right. I've, Nonsense. Yes. I've heard I've heard I've heard all the jokes before. Why take the field? Hey, there's a potential here. We could tie and nobody scores. Why take the field? Right. I, I understand. I understand. I got an idea. Let's have a shootout at the end so that somebody wins. So there's a point on the board. No, no, no. Can't do that. I understand. Tradition. But you know the what? The draw. You're not <laughs> a sports Let's call it a draw. radio personality whose job it is to know about sports. Yeah. And this isn't like highlight. This is a sport that 13 million people play. Like I said, it is the third most played sport in this country behind baseball and basketball. Yeah, but again, that's six-year-olds. He not has like children. He's watching games and analyzing he them has for children. ESPN. We know he's not at the games because he, could, he was back at work right after they were born. <laughs> I just, there's no excuse for it. 
if you have this job, it's your job to know at least the basics of these sports. At least the basics. He's speaking to the common man. It's how we all feel about soccer. He's asking the question that everyone has. You would never. When does the clock end? Seriously. I don't you understand. You would never, in a room full of guys, you would never ask, do they kick with both legs? Wow. You wouldn't be judged. You would not ask. You would not be judged. You would not ask. Wait, what sport are we talking about? Soccer. Oh, I don't know. That's the response you'd get. He also asked, um, are the best players of the world, are all of them participating in this event? And he asked, is this like your World Series? Yeah, Mike, this is, yeah, yeah. This is this is the, the biggest the biggest soccer event. Except that it actually does include everybody in the world. Well, it does, but he's... As opposed to the World Series. Right, but he those are two different questions. If you took an NCAA tournament all-star team, how good would that team be on a soccer team? What? What? You don't like Mike Francesa. Well, there's that. I don't like Mike Francesa. But uh, how many of these guys are coaching these teams do you know? That was just like Dave Mazur. Do you know Do you know all the guys coaching these teams? What does that have to do with anything? It's just an embarrassment. I'm embarrassed. For, I was embarrassed for Mike Francesa. Why don't we call him? Why don't we call him? I'm sure he'd love to talk with me. You got hey, Jose, Jose, you're... you're a Mike Francesa. You're familiar with Mike Francesa. Uh, yes. I can't hear you. Uh, yes, I am. I'm familiar with Mike. What's your opinion? Uh, this should be your wheelhouse. Uh, you know, right? you bring someone in uh, to talk, to discuss soccer. You Some research should be done. That's all. Wasn't it a little, like, insulting to Dave Mazur to know so little about your guest and what he does? Slightly. Yes. So it's not just me. Not you. It's not just you. It's just mainly you. It's not mainly me. A lot of people thought this was absurd. All right, next week we'll call Mike Francesa. Oh, we'll okay. Mike he might not answer, but we'll call him. No, I'm, we're calling. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, let's come back after a break. I have a special um special request. I know it's been a it's been a big day. I've shared. We've 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 argued a little. Um. I've I've taken baby name suggestions from you. Well, now I have a request. Okay. I have a request when we come back after the break. So stick around. It's a small ask, but it's an important ask. Will Kane and Desi Cup will continue in a moment on the Blaze Radio Network. And Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking around with us for uh, your Saturday morning. I hope you've had fun. I'm going to make a request. And for this audience, this is not a big request. This is a request that a lot of our listeners already take pretty seriously. So I'm, I, this is not going to be a hard sell, I know. But we've been talking a lot about Iraq and sending our troops maybe back over there and that's why we're bringing troops home. But we have to remember there are a lot of U.S. troops still in theater. And this might sound like a small thing, but getting a care package from home goes such a long way 
to boosting their spirits over there. Um, I've been participating in something called Troopathon for a few years now, and the seventh Troopathon is this upcoming Wednesday, June 25th. And what we do is it's an eight-hour-long broadcast. You can go to troopathon.org to watch it, where we come on. We I've, I've hosted it one year, but this year I'll, I'll call in, and other people come in. Sean Hannity comes on, lots of people that you know. And we talk about what it means to work with the troops and, and send things over to the troops. And we raise money for care packages to the troops. And those care packages have all kinds of things in there. Um, jelly beans, coffee, candy bars, granola bars, energy drinks. Stuff from home that they don't get. It doesn't matter if it's their favorite thing or just, just something. Getting that box from home is... So, so valuable to them. And I know that because we get amazing thank you notes. I'll just read from a couple. Um, Elizabeth Pittman in Afghanistan says, Some days nothing beats the tastes of home. She's uh, stationed out out there in uh, Gambari, Afghanistan. Um, Another note, knowing that there are people and organizations out there like this motivates us to get up every day and do what we do. God bless you. Another note, you are the fuel engine and oil that... Keep us pushing forward. Once again, I say thank you, thank you, and thank you. These these care packages go over to our troops. They, they're spread around to fellow soldiers. They talk about things from home. They're sent a, you know, a pocket constitution. They're sent um, notes from home. It's just so important, and it takes so little for you to do this. And the Troopathon people um, take care of everything for you. What are there? Are there uh, do you select what goes in the care package? We do. I mean, it's it's a whole bunch of stuff. We were we were lucky enough to get a lot of generous donations um, from different from different companies. The Rogers Family Coffee is one. Um, Military One Source, Huaz Field Towels, Ray, Ronald Reagan Candy Diplomacy Jelly Beans. I mean, a lot of people donated stuff for this. Uh, Gatorade is in there. Um, so we put all that stuff in, and and we send it. You don't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. So on, on June 25th, you can go on now and do this. Uh, again, it's troopathon.org. But on June 25th, you can watch and donate uh, and call in. And specifically this year, we're actually asking for bloggers. If you are a blogger and so you have, you know, you've got fans, you've got readers, we want bloggers to help spread the word. So you can actually play an even bigger role. If you email Info at Troopathon.org. You're going to get a personalized link and all the details of how you can help spread the word for Troopathon. And and that that really goes a long way. And actually, for for the person who raises the most money, Stag Arms is giving away a free AR-15. How about that? Right? So, again, it's Troopathon.org. The Troopathon itself is on June 25th. That's Wednesday. I'll be calling in, so tune in for that. And if you want to blog about it, email info at troopathon.org and we'll set you up with everything you need. Thanks for uh, tuning in to Kane and Cup today. Good we show. Appreciated it. Good See show. you next week. You're listening to Kane and Cup, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network.